people believe that we live in the worst time ever. People actually believe that the United States is like this horrible spot, that our parents destroyed the world that we lived in, that our grandparents destroyed the, the, the world that we lived in. The reason why this is concerning to me is because it is unequivocally not true. There are individual points that are worse, 100%. But when you look at the world in total, you have to understand that we have less than 10% extreme poverty today. During our grandparents' time, we had over 50% of the world was in extreme poverty. What's up, everybody? Today, we are diving into some historical things and talking about how it applies today. Now, this is not a hurrah, go America podcast. I am a very big critic. In fact, we're going to talk about the good that America caused, but also how that is ending and uh, most likely will not continue and what that means for the world. Now, there's a lot of things that have happened in history. Now, the last 200 years have obviously been so wildly divergent from the previous hundreds of years and the rest of mankind, it is really hard for us to grasp. It's really hard for us to equally grasp because we look at things and assume that the way it is today is how it has been, should be, and we lack a lot of perspective. Now, this is one of the biggest problems I see in America today is, first of all, the lack of perspective, but also that we take things for granted. And it is a big, major problem. And we're not focusing a lot of times on the right things, meaning the correct problems we should be solving. Now, history has shown that this happens, and this generally happens every few generations. Once the generation that created the good times is now gone, and the generations that have never seen bad times like the previous generations did, uh, they end up creating bad times. This has always happened. We see this over cycles across every country, regardless of politics, regardless of geography. It has happened and we've recorded this in ancient uh, Mesoamericas. We've recorded this in uh, even individual tribes across North America. Obviously, we have a huge history dating back to the Egyptians, the Middle East, and Europe. Now, this overall cycle, though, is magnified today. And the reason why this cycle is magnified is due to the change which has occurred. We have never in human history had a time that so much of individual day-to-day -day lives and how we work and how the world operates has changed in a matter of a few generations. Now, out of all the things that we're looking at, we are going to focus a lot on things like consumer spending. We're going to focus a lot on what that means and what has changed, why it's changed, and then getting onto the outlook. So what are these trends and how do I see them? How do we see them and other uh, people that are looking at the next three, four decades? This is especially important to me because I have kids. Now, some of the things that got us to where we are today will die off. They're gone. We can't reproduce them. But there's other things that will take us into a world that, like three generations prior, 
we don't really understand and we can't even perceive because that arc of change has not stopped. And that's the biggest thing that we have to learn. The conditions that create change, the conditions that we're all in, that produce it, what is produced, why is it produced? And economically speaking um, and socially, these two things are directly tied. Even though most people see them as different things, they're really unified and there's a cause and effect to them. Uh, this is a topic that I absolutely love and I have lots of research on it. Um, I work with uh, multiple people and research firms that accumulate this research and data so so we can take a lot look at it. I am only able to share highlights and I want to hit some main points that we're going to go into. And I especially want to talk about uh, at the end why this run is over and what the next run uh, could look like and what are some changes that we need to be aware of. Now, the world pre-United States was obviously wildly different and did not change dramatically from the generations prior. Um, uh, they did change and some of the changes were incredible. The printing press, everything from wars, gunpowder, it's not that they weren't, but these changes took a long time. And uh, they were not universally accepted. Why? Because the countries that usually created change and had the progress did not transfer information. So when that individual civilization died off, got taken over, or whatever it was, most of the time the knowledge was lost. Hence the reason why the printing press was probably the most important invention ever. In fact, it was due to the printing press and other things that led to the foundation of the United States and America. Now, America in itself and its impact on the world is obviously the talking point. Most of our listeners are in the United States. They are investors here. And most people from other countries invest into the United States. It is the engine of wealth. It is the largest economy, the largest military. And what happens in the United States will ripple across the whole world and there won't be people that are isolated from it. If you are a first world country and living in the modern world that we live in, you will absolutely be affected. In other words, there is no vision of how the world works right now without the United States. Now, I'm not saying that even as a good thing, so don't all of a sudden be like, oh, you're just saying the United States amazing. No, it's, it's just a simple fact. We don't have world trade without the U.S. Navy. It doesn't even exist. Most countries do not have independent resources to sustain. In fact, there's only really three. We have China, Russia, and the United States. All other countries are 100% dependent on the most basic things from other countries to function. I'm talking food, right? This is a very integrated world we live in. The United States does not stand alone. The world has been flattened and we're all connected and a part of it. The linchpin though on that connection is the United States because the United States is the one that created it in its modern form. Yes, there obviously was a world without and will be a world without the United States. But in today's world you live in, wherever you live, no matter what, you are kind of living in the United States world for good or bad. And this is something that has occurred in previous historic 
cycles, which we'll look at. Now, there's a lot of underpinning aspects that have occurred throughout the world in the United States that aren't economical that must be looked at and addressed and find the root and source of these uh, good things as well as the bad things. Because you can really predict by looking at incentives of people. You understand what people will generally do given certain circumstances. At the end of the day, we all return to very basic mode of functioning in certain environments, like when our life is threatened, when resources are limited. People change. They revert back. And the world, for the most part, um, is generally one that is fragile, that is dependent on things that most people never think about. Like, uh, things like insurance, consumer spending, um, working hours, and a whole bunch of other things that we'll look at that are overlooked but really keep the world running every single day. And without those things, it would fall apart. And it has in other countries at other times. So the modern world we live in is complex, but it will be boiled down to its basics. So let's get started here. First, I want to look at a few factors, and we need to understand the the change. And obviously, once again, highlights here. We don't have time to go through everything. Um, I, I have uh, some great books that we can refer to to read, and uh, some different topics we'll be making more information on. Now, when we're looking at consumer spending throughout the world, I'm, I want to take a, a snapshot of today. The There has been an interesting trend that has been going on, which is concerning to me. And that is that people believe that we live in the worst time ever. People actually believe that the United States is like this horrible spot, that the world is in this just terrible position, um, and that we the world was better when our parents were here, that our parents destroyed the world that we lived in, that our grandparents destroyed the, the, the world that we lived in. Um, the reason why this is concerning to me is because it is unequivocally not true. It is shocking at the degree. There are individual points that are worse. 100%, right? That is not, I'm not denying those things. But when you look at the world in total, you have to understand that we have less than 10% extreme poverty today. During our grandparents' time, this is the whole world, not the United States, the whole world. We had over 50% of the world was in extreme poverty. We're talking quality of life on and on and on and on. Um, it, now, the individual factors that we look at and see that I think are difficult to understand how to solve have to do with the issue of all those good things meant that we had a population boom that was unlike anything the world had not only ever seen, but I don't think was prepared for. And our mode of operations prior to the 1900s were obviously taken into the next century. Why? Because that was infrastructure. That's how we did it. But was not made for 8 billion people. And when utilized at scale like that, there are byproducts that are bad, uh, things that we may look at like pollution, things that we look at that may be degradation of land, right? Those are symptoms, right, of 
a old system being used at a capacity that is not sustainable. This is, once again, I believe not questionable. Of course, this is like a truth that we know and understand. We cannot use the same system that was used for one billion people for eight. Even the same system that was used for hundreds of millions of people, now billions. It doesn't work. It can't work. And uh, we are now trying to move the world forward into a new era. But also to think that our parents either caused that or they didn't even understand the change that they were in the middle of, nor do we, because it was happening so quickly. Uh, this change was so rapid, the information that the world even had could not be aggregated and it could not be distilled down into useful and then spread that information out um, effectively, quickly. The, the tail end for our understanding of how the world was changing was massive. The problem we have today is, frankly, um, we have our millennials like me and Gen Z who are uh, spoiled. We just are. And we assume that the world that we live in today, they lived in then. We love to take this idea of it's like this today. I can identify this problem. You should have been able to. You caused it. And most of the time, they don't even understand what's going on. Um, this makes for a very chaotic world that we live in where we're pointing fingers and blaming. Most of the solutions to solve this, these problems that we have um, are actually generated from generations that aren't millennials or Gen Zs. They're the ones that are actually creating the solutions. And that is simply truth. They are the scientists. These are the people that are working all the time to try to fix problems that are systemic uh, that we have because of large populations. So please understand. I get all the problems and I understand the ones that are not sustainable and how quickly we must address them. But you also have to understand the data, how we can analyze it, how we can figure these problems out and something that seems so basic to you. Why? Because you logged onto your phone that's connected to the internet and you looked it up was impossible for the prior generation to know. And uh, to think that you are inherently better off or that you're doing a better job than they were is ridiculous. And that's completely true by the numbers because the amount of uh, consumption, everything that you admit, meaning the newest generations, uh, blows prior generations out of the water. So I have to do this big disclaimer and move on to it because a lot of people get their feathers ruffled, right? I am not saying everything's perfect, but we do need to understand these things. Um, this is very, very important topic, I think, for everyone. Economically investing and building the world around us, that's what I believe in, that's what I do. I do not believe that politicians solve our problems at all. In fact, they are usually the worst people. That is entrepreneurs. And this is shown through history. Um, uh, and it's shown on the ground. Social progress that we think uh, occurred by either protesting or legislated in um, were after effects of the actual progress and what allowed those circumstances to exist. And uh, we're going to get into this. So first thing we need to look at is we're comparing the world for like 100 years. That is such a small amount of time, meaning that we are looking at change for that, that happened in people's lifetimes today. 
it's hard to wrap my head around. And I think it's hard to anybody to wrap their head around that. Um, if you think that it is, I think you're delusional because to have someone that lived, that's alive today and operating today that lived in a world that was reminiscence of the closer to the hundreds of year prior than it is to today is it's, it's wild. It's absolutely amazing and intriguing to me. Now, during, to set this up, the 20, uh, we have it so much better. The 20th century right now, working hours um, have been declining. So there's a few myths that I think we have, especially millennials. Uh, and the first one is that um, we work more than our parents and grandparents did, and um, we make less. Now, this is a multi-faceted thing. There's not one line item that you can look at because that's not how it works. For example, the amount of hours a day worked is obviously down, but the total amount of, hour, of days worked is down. Also, the paid days, which didn't exist prior, meaning that the non-working days you weren't paid for, um, that is also different. This um, drop in the annual amount of hours worked, if you go back to the early 1900s and start to look at that, it's half. We work half of the amount of time. Um, we have paid holidays. We have all of these things that did not exist prior. Um, we do not work more. Uh, that, that is not simply true. Um, this is also resonant. Now, are there individual circumstances? Yes, of course. There are always individual circumstances and also different points in life where you may say, I have been, this year I worked more, but it's not a sustained norm at all. It's 50% actually off of it. There's also the other things we have to look in and the people that don't work and don't need to. There was no social nets that didn't really exist at mass. There were some, but very few. I mean, you're talking about a time where taxes alone were not very much. So the amount of people working, right, was everybody had to work. You didn't have people that just didn't work because they had disability, things like that. That was rare and that was privileged. Um, none of those things, though, for our grandparents and, and prior uh, really existed. So when we look at the um, overall declines, we can see that it is continuing to decline, meaning that the amount that we work today versus the early 2000s is less. So the working hours across the world, but especially in the United States, is continuing to drop. Now, there are short-term intervals where work hours go up or down, whatnot, but if you zoom out anything past even a decade, um, that's just not true. It's dropping significantly. Now, working hours is one thing. The other part of it that we have to look at, we mentioned not only working hours, days, um, earned income for those days. Uh, when we look at uh, those things, you, we had income taxes really came in its first breath in 1913, okay? And it wasn't like what we have today. And uh, 1935, we got introduced to Social Security, and then we had the 1942 Revenue Act, um, and then the Labor Management in 47, and in 62, we had um, 
things like tax deferred accounts. We had protection nets against self-employed people. We had um, conditions of employments past the 50s, the Revenue Act in 1978, which deferred compensation plans, allowed people to not pay taxes. Then you had Retirement Equities uh, uh, Act in 1984, which concerns that working women uh, were not receiving their fair share of pensions and benefits. We have the Reconciliation Act, 1876, on and on and on. PPA, on and on and on. These were all safety nets that were coming in and the taxes were rising. Now, the I'm not debating here what's wrong or not. We're simply giving kind of a foundation here what's taking place in, in the 1900s. Um, the reason why, though, this is important is all of these safety nets where we're talking about um, uh, things like uh, maternity leave, when we're talking about paid vacation, when we're talking about retirement plans, when all of these things, uh, these things did not exist to our generations or the generations prior, obviously. It's only been the last couple generations that even saw this, that even got this. Now, that doesn't change the fact, though, that they worked twice as much. When we look at going back here into um, even further with this, we have to realize that the life expectancy um, in just the last 100, 150 years has risen by 40 years. We're basically doubling our life expectancies. Uh, at the same time here, life expectancy in the United States has doubled. Uh, we also receive health care benefits and health care that wasn't around. Now, yes, health care cost is a problem, but it's also because we have it. Now, what does that mean? Obviously, we did not have paid benefits, government paid benefits or anything else like that uh, prior to, you know, 1950. You paid out of pocket and you had extraordinarily limited. So nobody paid a ton on medical care cost because they died medical care costs were cheap because you didn't keep people alive. They just died. We didn't have people that were 70 years old that would live for 30 years and need help every single day to live. That didn't exist. These things, once again, with this change in mass population have driven up costs. So there is good things that happen and the good things that we like come with bad things. It, it is not a we don't want infants to die. We don't want to die at the age of 50 or 45 or 40 anymore. We actually want to live longer. But when you do that, there are also consequences. We now have more people. You increase the amount of expenditure per person dramatically. Most of all the medical costs in anybody's life will happen in just the last 20% of their life or less. Most of it's in the last three years of their life. So that means that the vast majority of medical costs are attributed to people that are in the very end part of their life and have lived way longer than ever before. You can go like Canada style, which says obviously you can cut huge amounts of that cost if you just let them die, right? Now, I'm not arguing that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying it is a factor of the conditions of a better life that we live. And so when you look at 
um, some of these things when life expectancy is working, right? We live in an age that from 1990, we had basically 30 years. In the 50s, our parents, life expectancy was 40. Today, it's 80. That's my, you're talking about like my parents, people that were born in the 50s. This isn't a long time ago, right? Now, livable wages is another thing that is vastly misunderstood and highly debated. Once again, hear me out on this stuff because we're going to talk about how all of this is going to end. Now, we may lose a lot of the bad things, right? But we're also going to lose a lot of good things. And why how we got here and what got us here will not continue in the same way. And we need people to figure out solutions. And we need to have these discussions. We don't need blame. We don't need you know, one generation fighting over the other, and we don't need to simplify and distill things into simple data points. We need long form conversations. Livable earning wages. Now, in the United States, our earning wages have skyrocketed. Now, you may say, AJ, that has to do with inflation, right? On and on and on. Now, hold on here for a second. Uh, first and foremost, that when you take into inflation and we begin to look at disposable income, that is take home pay. Disposable income, which is calculated by the IRS, includes food, housekeeping, apparel, services, personal care products, um, miscellaneous. Basically, it's anything that you need to live day to day, transportation, home, clothes, food, that's all accounted into cost. And then above that is disposable income. That is the, the set amount. In the early 1900s, uh, we spent almost 50% of the total income was on food, just food. And once again, this was food that was not anything necessarily good or <laughs> terribly healthy. 15% um, went to clothing and 24% went to housing. Uh, when you look at it, we had basically 80% went to essentials. Now, also it's important to know that we had way less homeowners and the homes that people bought were a fraction of the size they are now. Today, the average home site is 2,500 square feet. Back then, it was like 900 square feet and there was no appliances. There was no garages. So they were paying within a 6% of their income for the average home as we are paying today. Now, if you live in New York or San Francisco, right, or LA, you may be looking at it saying, well, I'm paying for that and I have a one bedroom apartment, right? Yeah, but that's because of where you live. So it's, you know, you can't apply that to the whole economy. Anything else, uh, if you live in, if you want to live in downtown LA, um, that's what you get. Now, if you say, well, but that's where my job is. I understand, but you're still making a choice. And that is not reflective of the nation as a whole. So when we compare apples to apples, not just look at income to housing, like news loves to do, um, then they don't tell you though that your house, the average house that they're talking about is three times size, two car garage, it is also has all appliances, it has granite countertops, on and on and on and on. None of that existed when comparing those things. 
So when looking at our working wages and how they are broken down in the economy, we have days off from vacation. Obviously, there was basically none, right? Uh, so today we have a whole lot. Uh, so we, we, we get days off. You have sick leave, paid sick leave, all of that kind of stuff. That goes directly into your earning, your hours earned, your disposable income. Our overall disposable income today, we mentioned, sorry, I should get back to that. We talked about in um, food. So today, 10% is voted, uh, devoted for food. 26% on average goes to house. Um, and that is the when we're looking at the take-home pay. So, so just remember, 42% was for food. Today, 10% or less is devoted for food. Obviously, in the last two years, that's gone up because of inflation. Once again, iron things out. We got to look at the whole picture here. We're zooming out. Um, uh, but it's still nothing close to where it was. Now, when we look at other things that we have when it comes into disposable income is the um, clothes, purchasing of clothes, way down, right? All essentials outside housing, right, are down. Housing is up. But if you buy a house that was equivalent to the house that they were buying in that same thing, so meaning apples to apples, um, it would actually be less. So uh, we do need to remember to compare. Now, you may say, well, that's not reasonable, AJ, because we don't live in that time. That's fine. But then it's also not reasonable for you to say that they're apples to apples and you want this without getting that, right? Perspective. That's what I'm trying to get here. And it leads us to the bigger questions that we're, we're looking at. Now, um, all of this stuff was changing. The big things, though, that we're looking at, as our lives got incredibly better uh, for all of our Gen Z's and um, uh, millennials that live in the greatest time that we've seen um, in the world history. Now, to put this in perspective, poverty rates in 1950, two thirds of the entire world lived in utter extreme poverty. That was in 1950. In the 1900s, or early 1900s, that was 80%. 80% of the world lived in extreme poverty. This is poverty we do not have in the United States. Now, you may say there's a homeless person living on the street. That's extreme poverty. But the homeless person actually has basic resources, right? So they actually have food. They can get basic things. Not that it's not a problem. It's obviously a huge problem. I'm talking about they don't have clothes. They don't have shoes. They don't have access to food or normal clean water. So we're talking about even less than that. And that was at mass. This wasn't a handful of people that we need to figure out how to take care of. It's a huge problem, epidemic in some parts of the country um, that we need to look at and figure out how, how to take care of. I'm not saying that, but it is nothing even close. Today, it's less than 10%. Less than 10% of the world. I mean, that is so shocking because considering before the 1900s, the entire world for the history of the world, over 80% of every, over 80% of every human on earth lived in extreme poverty. 
Um, it's mind blowing to me. Now, what all of this has led to and done. All right. This is the next part that uh, we're going to talk about economically, what has happened, but socially. All major social um, improvements, equalities, and gains that we have had are almost, no, I'm not, not even almost, they are. They're caused by economic expansions. What that means is that we only had them due to expanding, growing economies. Why did we get rid of the use of slaves? It was not fundamentally because the world woke up, well, Europe and Britain particularly, they're the ones that started and they were the first to actually um, legislate and say things like, you can't own a slave, right? Things that are so wild to even think about today. It's nuts. But the reason why was the Industrial Revolution. That's why. The use of humans to have cheap capital and forced labor to produce, right, went away. Why? Because we weren't doing things that was like farming. We didn't need that cheap labor applied. So as the first world countries became first world and started to expand, and as they opened up their economies to the private sector, and they started to get away from central planning, inventions exploded, industrial revolution started, and that allowed us to leave that kind of labor. That is why the North went against the South in the United States. Why? Because the North was no longer dependent on agriculture like the South was. They had the Industrial Revolution. That's where all the mills, everything else worked. Now, an oversimplification? Yeah, true. Yeah, it is. And this underlying thing we need to understand, because once again, when you get in extreme cases, we all kind of go back to zero, and that means we become animals. And when we look at what has happened over this time frame, even things like women's rights and equality, gender equality, which is still just crazy to think about because it seems so foreign almost to us. Now, obviously, we, when we say foreign, we're not saying like it doesn't exist. Of course, we know it exists. But it is nothing like it was. It was really horrific. Um, being a woman prior to 19... 50 or 40, um, I, I can't resonate with that. I, I can't even understand that. Uh, and not that it was good in the 1950s, but it was basically horrific. Now, not that being a man was much better, meaning that they were murdered pretty much constantly. Men's lives were astronomically short. It was filled with violence. Um, and uh, then women were taken and used as products. Uh, and that was common. That dominated the world for the history of the world. And uh, um, that's horrific, right? Well, why was the U.S. one of the leading countries and the ones that really led the way with women's rights? Well, that largely had to do with the consumer revolution and household work. So consumerism in the United States became a big thing. And we started to get these little things called appliances. Now, these appliances that came into the home, in the average home household in the first of the 1900s was 60 hours a week to do the basics. We're talking cleaning, laundry, and meals. 60 hours a week to make sure the home and the people in it could function, which was almost all 
placed on the woman. Now, I love to see things where they look at it like the, the husband was doing nothing, right, sitting in the home, and she was spending 60 hours a week. But as I showed you before, that is not only not true, they were working out in mines, things like that, at 60, 70 plus hours a week. Um, so it just sucked, right? Well, once appliances came into the home, by 1975, that was down to 18 hours. When you got into the 50s and the 60s, it had over dropped in half. You had 60% reduction in the total working hours. This is the major driver during the time where we began to see equal rights. We liberated women basically from the shackles of a home. And they were able to stand up. And it, it changed everything. And that's why that time, we see this whole time and era of how people thought about gender, gender roles. And that all started to really transform. Why? Because the need had been taken away in the most basic sense. Meaning that prior to that, unless you were wealthy and you had servants or slaves, well, if you didn't do that 60 hours of work at home, you starved, you died. This wasn't something where they were like, oh, I, I expect you to have a meal sitting on the table at dinner. No, it, it was if you don't cook, which takes five hours to prepare the meal, we will die. Our children will die. Um, it Too often, I think we take our perspective of today and how we live and apply it back then and think that, you know, apply those judgments, which is totally ridiculous. Well, it was largely due to this that we saw the massive buildup in gender rights for women and viewing them more as equals, which once again is horrific to just even say. I mean, it just blows my mind. But it was. The Industrial Revolution brought on inventions, which all of this was being really led and driven out of the United States. And that mass manufacturing that we saw after the world wars was applied then even prior to the world wars by you know during the world wars 1940 the work hours had already dropped to 30 hours a week that's why women were such huge drivers in the overall war and the um uh manufacturing and fighting abroad and at home they fueled the the war efforts now when you look at that turned then into appliances and consumerism that brought it on that drove uh, the working hours dropped in half in just 15 years. So prior to that, even in the 1900s, it was 70 hours a week. It took 50 years to even get it down to that point. Prior to that, it had never changed. And just a decade and a half later, it had already dropped in half. Uh, today, it is seven hours. Now, this, these little things that we talk about once again are the things that I think most people overlook, even though they are so important. A refrigerator, an appliance, and the, the, the second-hand effects that had on that to equal rights and to progress. The simple fact of the Industrial Revolution that we could take care and we could build on things and we didn't need human labor, right? These were so incredible. And they allowed us to have higher order thinking. We worked less. We started to become educated. We started to spend time thinking about things other than, am I going to die? Because the average lifespan was 40. Um, and we introduced modern medicine, everything else. 
the most most of this change was being driven out of the United States for a few simple reasons. Uh, one of the main one is during the World Wars, the United States wasn't decimated. So the rest of the world was largely living on the United States debt and they were rebuilding. This is one of the leading factors that created the superpower that is the United States. Everyone became dependent on them and we were the first superpower to just give everybody's countries back and we created treaties with them and we created a situation where we would win economically using our currency, right, and products and services and then indebted them to us. Uh, genius move by the United States and also one of the most gracious moves that have any country's ever done in the history of the world. No country has saved everyone, taken over, and just let, walked away, and then supported them to rebuild and gave them their own governments, everything else back. Um, now, was it perfect? No, of course not. Like, once again, did the United States do horrific things? Of course they did. Right? Every country was, it did. I'm not saying that they're perfect. But it did create the landscape for us to understand. Okay. Got to give these disclaimers, because I know I'm going to get, like, thousands of messages that says, how dare you say this? Um, so please, no need, don't send me one. Okay, moving on here. When we look at disposable income, the disposable income from the United States has risen wildly, uh, as we already talked about. If you are a millennial today, um, you are living in a time that no previous generation has. You work less, you do make more money, um, you have basic things that they never had. So millennials own more homes than the previous generations do. Even though, yeah, we may look at the cost, and especially right now, I think it's unachievable for most millennials, right? So when you look at a microchasm today, home ownership for millennials, I think, is for the most part, not completely out of touch, but yeah, I, I don't know how people do it. Now, once again, though, this is a moment in time. I understand how this can beat us down. And this is one of the reasons, though, I want to install hope. Interest rates will change, everyone. Our positions will change. Inflation right, will change. Now, does that mean it will be perfect? No. In fact, other times that we've been in this situation in, in the world, this has led to massive crisis. We under, I understand we have world wars. Violence and crime is at an all-time low, both in deaths for war, but also at home. Yet we believe that we are in such a terrible, terrible time. Um, this is very scary to me because it has led so many people to not only not have hope, um, but to believe that they are disadvantaged in a way that other generations weren't. Now, you're talking to generations, though, that bought homes at 18% interest that couldn't fuel their car because of gas rationings, that women had to work twice as much in the home, death rates were high. And I'm talking about my parents, by the way, here. The, what they could have was a fraction. They didn't have normal appliances. They didn't have access. There was no credit cards. And they didn't, vacation was like nothing. That, that didn't exist, right? So we have a delusion right now in the United States where we have a generation that thinks that they are so multiple generations now. Um, and it's only because they are not aware of the history. Now, 
why is, let's move on to the next part. I kind of set the stage. Obviously we can't get through everything, but the next part here, um, why this will end. And uh, this is a really, really important piece here. The previous generations that were riding a major wave, right? The rave, the wave was a horrific one, to be honest. It was filled with bloodshed like the world had never seen through great wars, um, violent uprising, um, all sorts of stuff. They had um, protests that were for huge legitimate things that were destabling governments. Um, it was a very scary time, you know, nuclear um, fears. And today we have scary things that need to be addressed, of course. Now, when we look, though, at moving forward, this wave that was gone, that was created through incredible bloodshed, hardship. Once again, I'm talking about our parents here, and I'm not going like to really far out, um, but the work effort that created the conditions that we are in, you're talking about 150 years of an entire population that worked twice as much as we do, that bled, died early, that had more children, that uh, suffered in ways uh, that we, we don't understand and really can't imagine. They did not have basic uh, healthcare like we have today. Um, and that created a world that we live in today. Now, we have a government today in all of that, by the way, when we're talking disposable income, everything, taxes have you know doubled. There was no income tax. There was no any of these things. So that's disposable income and everything else after the government is taking in amounts that have never been seen before. They also are borrowing at amounts that we have never seen before. They're trying to run off an old system and they've gotten carried away. Everyone has gotten carried away. And uh, we have the... Uh, regulation in the United States has outpaced humans by over 350%. We are slower and we expect more and we have less tolerance today for hardship. Uh, words are violence. No, they're not. Um, it's That is very concerning. And the next wave, when you look at what has happened and how we had social progress on all of these equality that, you know, what we have legislated, put into place, what the United States has done on the social side to make an equal playing field that has never existed like it does today, ever. And um, that is incredible. And I think we think not only is it we. We, we are now putting that down, saying it's not incredible. In fact, we are Nazis and we're crazy people and the other side is communist and uh, we're, we're forgetting the, the past. Now, looking forward though, the changes that are gonna come are going to be radical and the United States is going to do more to assert its power over the rest of the world um, now, as of right now, the world does still operate on the United States. We do not get to leave the dollar. Um, the, uh, the world can't even work without the backing of it. If fun, some of these fundamental but simple things like our protection over international waters, if some of those went away, we would go back to a time like 1970 prior. 
uh, which then also worries me how we would handle it. Uh, the people that went through Great Depressions, World Wars, that went through 18% interest rates, that went through all of these things, right? Most of those people um, now are older or old, um, and the new generations, they, they, are, they haven't seen these things, and, and they're not putting in the work and effort. A lot of the social progress uh, that we had was driven due to individuals, not government, individuals, the marketplace, working hard, um, and taking care of your neighbor. Now, the internet created a situation in the United States where we see everybody's problems and we want to pass judgment on everyone. In the United States, prior to the internet, if you wanted to live in a place like Texas, then you could live in a place like Texas and you would have a community there that represented what you wanted out of life. And you could also live in a place like San Francisco and they could be polar opposite, right? And that was okay. It was okay to be polar opposite, right? Once again, I'm not saying either side's good or bad. That's not what I'm talking about here. The internet, though, took cultures across the United States, which the United States is enormous. It is like separate countries. New York is not the same thing as Montana. California is not the same thing as Texas. Florida is not the same thing as Nebraska, right? Uh, Washington, Seattle is not the same thing as Missouri. It, they are so wildly different in cultures. Go to Miami, right? And then go to Wyoming or Idaho or Utah or anywhere else, right? It, they're different, but that was okay. It was okay to be different. The internet put us all in the same room and it magnified problems that you may not even have. And it magnified issues, but it didn't create resolutions. So what happened was we're fighting with people that live a separate life and want to live a separate life, and we're imposing our way of life on them. And we're saying that it's bad or it's wrong or it's evil, right? And this has created contention um, and the technology that's thrown us all in the same room, right, uh, has magnified, I think, a lot of problems that uh, encompass us today. And it has distracted us from real fundamental issues and problems that we have in the United States. And it's also led to less solutions. So the moving forward technology is moving into its new phase, AI. This is going to create a new revolution like the, you know, the technology. So the information age that we have uh, had a lot of things that didn't quite play out like it did. The internet and the 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 early internet, the uh, productivity gains that we received from the early internet was wild. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, the later stage internet um, ended up being things like social media, things like that, which led to a handful of people being outrageously wealthy, um, but gave very little productivity to the rest of the world. And I believe that this next phase, it will be more like the pro productivity gains in the past, which that's amazing. And frankly, we need it in the United States because we're losing the productivity that we had. And we are used to increasing in productivity and hours dropping and disposable income going up. So the first time that any generation has a period of time within their life where that hasn't happened, it's mass uprival. And we're seeing late stage information age internet um, productivity wear down the overall concentration of wealth into the 
people that now, since we're all in the same room, wealth isn't distributed like it was prior because I can capitalize from San Francisco on that person in Texas, everything else I can get paid and it's not going to the local community. So everything's moving up, right? That obviously creates contention, judgment, things like that. The next wave though, um, when we're looking at the information age, we hope and we believe that it will make productivity better. And that's what we actually need. We need people on the ground. We need you and others not calling up to some president, which isn't gonna do anything, uh, to solve all your problems. That's not how it's gonna work, everybody. And that's why I think too, though, that the situation we're in um, is worrisome and it won't go forward. The gains that we receive to get to here will not be there. The debt that we've incurred, the natural resources that America got from land to mining to wood, all that kind of stuff that's been tapped, that's been exercised, the technology advancements of early inter internet, the consumer advancements, the lower working hours, right? These low hanging economic fruits, we have absolutely gilded. And uh, um, so the next phase will look different. I am hopeful though, and I believe it will be even better. I believe we'll be able to take now and move off an old system that wasn't meant for 8 billion people onto a new system. And the people that are working and building on that, they will become very wealthy. I have an idea in saving capitalism that the next phase that we move into, the overall uh, last phase we were in, capitalism was very much felt at a consumer level, right? All this stuff was getting better. The next phase, I don't believe we will see that impact, which will cause people to question the system because they don't even realize the system's benefits because they weren't there prior. They didn't see what it was like beyond that. So the next phase is going to be more asset centric. It has been for a while. It started right in the 90s, things like that. But consumer benefits have just felt less and less. And I, I believe they will because how much more can we just all have, right? That's not how it's gonna work. So. We need to focus on participation economically, right? Understand where these gains came from and not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, I hope you guys, as we go through this, that I'm expressing my thoughts, my research, my discussions with people all over the United States. Um, we, I've discussed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of business owners that I've consulted with, um, banks, and I obviously don't have the answers here. I'm not, that's not what I am even saying, right? But I hope that it can give you a little bit of perspective and that we can understand better these macro, macro trends that we're all in and working with and how you can position yourself better. The signal and the noise is something that you need to really look at. And today with the internet, we have a lot of noise, but people aren't getting the signals and it's distracting and then they feel misled. The signal and the noise means there's a lot of noise, but the things that are signaling what needs to change or what you need to do gets lost in it. So you have to divide the noise out to the actual signal. This is what I should be doing. This is a signal to invest. This is a signal to change and be better. This is a signal that the world is getting better. It's getting lost in the noise. So you need to work on improving your ability to cut the noise out, understand the signals and get to roots and causes so that you, millennials, Gen Zs, everybody, will create the next leg of the world that we live on, which will be 8 billion plus people, we will hit 10 billion people, and that you can do it for the betterment of everyone. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening uh, on this long conversation on one of my favorite topics. Uh, please 
reach out to me, let me know your thoughts. And also, please give me any good resources on books and other things that I can read. I absolutely love that. I hope this helps and we'll talk soon.